historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to Inside Israel Podcast. Israeli Special Forces enter the Palestinian city of Jenin, located in the northern West Bank. They were looking for Mahmoud Samir Salah Abu Zina, who, according to Israeli intelligence, was planning an attack under direct orders of Hamas. Abu Zina was caught by surprise, sleeping in his bed, and arrested quickly. As the forces were leaving the area, they heard noise and caught sight of several gunmen running towards them. Within seconds, a firefight erupted. The highly trained Israeli forces killed four gunmen and swiftly evacuated the prisoner. Not one of the Israeli fighters was hurt. In the past few weeks, several incidents occurred in the West Bank between Israeli soldiers and Palestinians. In the last few weeks, violence has escalated. Having said that, on August 13th, Israeli Minister of Defense Benny Gantz approved the construction of 1,000 new apartments for Palestinian residents in the Israeli-controlled Area C of the West Bank. This is in coordination with the Palestinian Authority. The goal, no doubt, is to strengthen the Palestinian Authority and weaken support for Hamas. I should note that new apartments were also approved for Israeli settlers so that in-house opposition to the Palestinian construction would be minor. This type of dichotomy, on the one hand skirmishes and confrontation with Palestinians, and on the other hand working together to better their lives, has been happening for years. In order to take a deeper look and understand the reality on the ground, I invited Colonel in Reserves, Dr. Danny Tirza. Colonel and Dr. Danny Tirza is the former head of the Strategic Planning Unit of Judea and Samaria Division, IDF Central Command. Colonel Tirza was a senior security advisor and negotiator in diplomatic talks with the Palestinian leadership. He served as an advisor to Prime Ministers Shimon Peres, Benjamin Netanyahu, Ehud Barak, Ariel Sharon, and Ehud Olmert. Danny consulted the American administration during the Trump presidency on an attempted peace plan coined the deal of the century. Welcome, Colonel Tirza. Thank you, Itai. Welcome. So I want to start out with asking you uh, the basic question that everyone has in mind, and that is the following. The two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians has been discussed, has been debated, has been examined since the Oslo Accords in 1993 and maybe even a little before. That's over 28 years with very little progress. What are the main hurdles? I myself, I believe that there is no other solution than two-state solution. But the main problem in the way is that there are two different ways to see what is two-state solution. The Palestinians talking about two-state solution, one state will be Palestine in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, and the other state will be in Israel. There will be a democratic state, so the Palestinians that will live there will have equal rights. So it will be another state, another Arab state in a very short time. We're talking about two national states. There will be Palestinian state in Gaza Strip and in Judea and Samaria. I'm not talking about the right borders, that's the lines that we have to agree above, but the main idea, there will be an independent a Palestinian state in these areas that will control the Palestinians that are living there, and there will be Israel democratic Jewish state. The main idea is that the Palestinians can have equal rights in Israel, but their national rights will be in Palestine and not in Israel. And that's the big difference between the sides. What, what would you 
you say, is there a consensus of an Israeli narrative? Because we know that there are two different narratives which are talking about the same thing, but they're vastly different than one another. What, in your opinion, is the consensus of the Israeli narrative? The main narrative of Israel is that we, the Jews, own this land from the time of the Bible. And uh, we are coming back to rebuild our nation on our land. And therefore, all this land belongs to us, but we are ready to give something that we believe that belongs to us, to the Palestinians, because we want them to rule their self. We don't want to rule another nation that's against the Jewish values, that's against the Jewish moral to rule another nation. And therefore, we believe that the best is to make two-state solution, but national states that will live one near the other and with good relations. Okay, so the Israeli narrative is understood and uh, there is a consensus, I assume, but there's a totally different Palestinian narrative. And what would be their narrative? Well, according to the Palestinians, the Jews are not a nation. It's only a religion. If you're looking above the map of the Middle East and you can see Israel as a knife in the heart of the Arab nation. And therefore, most of the Arabs believe that Israel will vanish from the area someday. And if you ask the Palestinians what they want, not what we want, what they want, they won't say we want an independent state. They want to stop the occupation. They want Israel to vanish from the area. If the Palestinians are not educating their children to coexist with Israel, they cannot be any way to find here a two-state solution that will live one near the other. You have many hours of experience negotiating with the Palestinians. I remember specifically you negotiated with Yasser Arafat and other Palestinian leaders. What sense did you get from them? Because you just gave their narrative, but what sense did you get from them that they would be willing to compromise on? I have to admit, most of the negotiations were very pleasant. We, we were talking about nice things, but we didn't talk or we ignored the heart of the problem because we didn't talk about the rights. We talked about practical solutions. And Israel all the time looks for practical solutions because we know that there are two different narratives and you cannot find a way to match these narratives. And therefore, we talked all the time only about the future and we ignored what was very important to the Palestinians, and that's the rights. Look, Danny, it's very clear that you're giving an Israeli perspective, but we know that there's a lot of world criticism of Israel. We hear, often enough, we hear criticism of Israel's policy towards the Palestinians, and right now I'm talking about the policy of the Palestinians and the West Bank. What can you say about the mistakes along the years that Israel has made? The main problem was that we didn't hear the Palestinians. We thought that we know what they want, we know what they believe, we are talking, uh, we're talking to people that we learned from the intelligence, we learned from the papers what we believe that they want. We didn't ask them, what do you want? We didn't talk with them about the basics. We were looking just for the future. And this is something that you cannot ignore. You have to see very, very hard discussions talking about the past. Be sure that people are ready to leave the past and to go to the future in some compromises, in some compensation above the past that both sides will be satisfied and will understand that they have to look for the future, but with not hard things from the uh, from the background. I want to take you a step back, a few years back. Between the years 2000, 2004, roughly, there was a new kind of terror that was waged uh, at Israel. It was called a suicide bomber. Every Israeli that lived through that time period remembers it very well. There were suicide bombers in restaurants, on buses, uh, movie theaters, etc. You were then still in the IDF. You had then advised to build a barrier 
between the West Bank and Israel. Once again, you were still in the IDF and you were given the task of building it. You were the architect and the implementer of the barrier. Now, some people refer to the barrier as the anti-terror barrier, while others who criticize it refer to it as the wall that imprisons the Palestinians. So give us a few words about that. Enlighten us about this whole idea of the, the barrier slash the wall. Well, I have to take you back to 2000. After the peace negotiations in Camp David crashed down because the Palestinians didn't want to get the, the suggestions of Israel and the United States to have an independent Palestinian state. They want everything or nothing. So if you're talking about everything or nothing, you stay with nothing. So the Palestinians want to change the situation by terror attacks. That was prepared long time before that, but just six weeks after the negotiation crashed down in Camp David, the Palestinians started a terror attack. They were shooting from their areas to where Jewish neighborhoods in Jerusalem, sending terrorists first with Molotov cocktail bottles, hand grenades, shooting in the streets, putting bombs wherever they can, the explosive cars, and in the end, the suicide bombers. Well, the Israelis that were living here in conditions that you cannot believe. If your child is going out to school, you don't, you cannot be sure that he will come back. Nobody will use public transportation after 17 public buses were blown up in Jerusalem. The big discotheque in Tel Aviv, 19 young girls were murdered, 150 were wounded. All over the country, just name a place, and there was a terror attack. The people in Israel asked the government, separate us from them. We don't want to see them anymore. Don't let them come to Israel for any reason. The government didn't want to do it for political reasons because they didn't want to draw the lines of the future border. It took about a year and a half and uh, a change in the government and uh, Ariel Sharon, the new Israel prime minister, understood that these terror attacks cannot continue and he decided to do mainly two things. One thing is to attack the Palestinians, get inside the Palestinian areas, and the other one is to protect Israel by building a security barrier between the West Bank and Israel, temporary security barrier just to stop the Palestinian terror from coming to Israel. As the government didn't want to get inside the details of the road of defense, I was the bad guy that had to walk on the ground, see, define the right lines, and build it as fast as we can. And it succeeded. It succeeded because the terror reduced to numbers that we can live with. From 2000 till 2005, the end of 2005, we had in Israel more than 3,000 terror attacks. We lost 1,642 people that were murdered by terror attacks. And from January 2006 till today, we had from the West Bank to Israel 94 terror attacks and we lost in this period 72 people. You can see the big difference. It's not only the fence. The fence is only the infrastructure on the ground. It doesn't work without the intelligence, without the soldiers who, that work along it, without the cooperation or the coordination with the Palestinian police, the intelligence, of course, the forces that are working day and night in the Palestinian areas, catching terrorists every day. It's a whole system. And really, we succeeded to reduce the terror. And therefore, we believe that this line is only temporary because when we decide about the borders, it has to be on the negotiation table and has to be decided between the two sides. But the fans made a change in the way of people that are looking above two-state solution. Because before the fence was built, people said it cannot be. It's one small area, how you can divide it. And now they understand that we can separate Palestine or the Palestinian areas from Israel. So it's one way toward peace, the other way it makes a lot of troubles. It's not 
a jail. Inside the West Bank, the Palestinians have free access from town to town, to villages, to wherever they need. It's just the way between the West Bank and Israel. By the way, there are a lot of Palestinians that come into Israel to work every day. If I'm not mistaken, it's over 100,000? Today, there are 120,000 licensed to come to Israel, 88,000 workers, but a lot of other people like businessmen, like people that need doctors or hospitals in, inside Israel, like people that want to visit the holy sites in Israel, visit their families. So it can be. If you are not a terrorist, you can get these documents and come to Israel and back. Even from Gaza Strip. Today, from Gaza Strip, about 2,000 businessmen are coming every day to Israel and back. Let me ask you one other question on that on that topic of the bear. If I'm not mistaken, you met Barack Obama before he was president, correct me if I'm wrong, and discussed the idea of the barrier um, slash wall. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Barack Obama was at that time a senator. He came to Jerusalem. It was a very rainy day. We went to the southeast neighborhood of Jerusalem, Gilo, and we saw from there the fans near Bethlehem. And he said to me, okay, I understand the security needs for the fans, but why the fans is near the Palestinian houses and not near the Israeli houses? If you want to protect the Israelis, why the fence is built near the Palestinian houses? And I answered him because of security reasons. The fence is not electrified. There are no mines in the ground, not electric wires, not automatic shooting machines. So if someone cross the fence, we need some space to run after the man and catch him before he gets to his target. And therefore we need this space. Of course, we didn't destroy or evacuate even one Palestinian house by building the fence. Some places where there is no space, we had to construct concrete walls. But you have to understand that only 8% of this big project of 451 miles long, only 8% are concrete walls, all the other are wire fences. So you don't see the wire fences in the media, but really this is the main thing of the project. One final question. I know you're not a prophet, and the Middle East is not a place to be a prophet. But in your opinion, what does the future entail for the Israeli-Palestinian relations? Are we going to live in peace one day, do you think? Or do you think we're doomed to an ongoing conflict? Well, I myself really, really believe in peace. I'm doing my best, although I'm not official anymore that this day will come. I have a lot of Palestinian friends, and I'm working with a lot of Palestinian businessmen. The problem is that the Palestinian society is not democratic yet. And therefore, in their eyes, the problem is that the leaders in the other side have interest that this problem won't be solved. If you see what the Palestinian Authority is doing, is trying all the time to harm the Palestinian people. Let the Palestinian people live in poverty, let the Palestinians live in conditions that they will take part in the struggle. But to get to this solution, the leaders in both sides have to take very hard decisions and believe great belief about the future. As we say in Hebrew, Bezrat Hashem, you know, mm-hmm. God willing, as they say. In Arabic, we say, Inshallah. Inshallah. Um, thank you very much, Colonel Tirza, for being with us. I just want to mention that if you want to reach out to Colonel Tirza, you can log on to his website, www.yozmot, that's Y-O-Z-M-O-T dash L-T-D dot com. Thank you. If you ask Israelis and Palestinians, those sitting in cafes, shopping in the market, eating at restaurants, and all other walks of life, do you want peace? An overwhelming majority, above 80%, will say absolutely yes. If you ask that same overwhelming majority if they think peace will come in their lifetime, they'll say no. And they'll continue and say it may take generations before there is peace. However, 
If you look beyond the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, you find that Arab pragmatic countries have either signed peace with Israel or established diplomatic ties. It is no longer only Egypt and Jordan that have a peace agreement with Israel. The UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain signed the Abraham Accords, a peace treaty with Israel almost exactly a year ago in August 2020. A few days ago, on August 12th, 2021, Morocco and Israel announced the establishment of mutual embassies. Oman and Saudi Arabia have done business with Israel for years. They also exchange information, like intelligence, on a regular basis. Sudan, once the world leading terror harboring state, has made move towards unofficial relations with Israel. And this is in order for them to be taken off the world terrorist list and better their economy. So, diplomatic relations, business, trade, tourism, exchange of information, tech consulting, and more will ultimately result in peace with the pragmatic Arab countries. Actually, it is happening as we speak. The question that remains, and perhaps will remain for a long time to come, is whether the Palestinians and Israeli societies and leadership will enable a culture of acceptance, tolerance, compromise, and peace. Or must our swords devour forever? If you like Inside Israel podcast, please share with others. You can access all of our episodes on InsideIsrael.fm, on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and more.